Welcome to Pod Aloha, dedicated to preserving the heritage of surfing and the spirit of aloha. I'm Paul Strau, and I'm going to take you inside the stories of surfing's biggest influencers. And I'm Kieran McGuire. Today, Pod Aloha welcomes Skip Fry. When he was inducted into the Surfing Walk of Fame, he was hailed as a smooth, polished surfer, renowned as a master of the undervalued art of trim, finding and holding a pure angle in the fastest part of the wave. It could be argued that surfboard design in the USA progressed largely because of his innovation in the shaping bay. Born in San Diego, he started surfing in 1957. He was an original member of the Wind and Sea Surf Club. By the mid-60s, he'd become one of California's top competitors and had started shaping with GNS. Today, Skip's boards are highly coveted works of art and function. His honors are so many that we can't name them all here, but include the Walk of Fame, the International Surfboard Builders Hall of Fame, the Skateboard Hall of Fame, and Wind and Sea Club's Surfer of the Century. He still paddles out every chance he can, and as you were about to hear, his stoke is palpable. Hey Paul, aloha. Hello to you, Kiernan. How's it going? Great. It's pretty exciting to be in the chapel, huh? It is. Gosh, you have to define chapel for everyone listening in, though, because it has a very special background. Well, it sure does. It's in Skip Fry's shaping room. Yes, and that's it is. Who that's who our special guest is today. Aloha, Skip. Aloha, everybody out there. We're so psyched to have you here. Yeah, I'm, I'm so excited, too, to be with you, Skip, and to yeah, me ce- too. celebrate you know, our relationship and our friendship and also you know to be able to share a little bit of an insight about what surfing means to both of us yeah well 60 years of surfing this right now right gosh it's so great i don't know exactly what the day was i know my first coast trip was memorial day and that was before the highway and everything that was back you know 58 so it was through all the coast towns through you know oceanside carlsbad encinitas you know (laughs) all the way up you know two hours or something to get to san onofre and that was before the state park the gate was locked yeah so oh man all the way back to cardiff (laughs) (laughs) really and that and you could stay on the beach of cardiff there you could just you could just put your sleeping bag down and stay there i couldn't because my parents weren't gonna let me spend the night you know so i had to be back home that night but that was my first coast trip and that was memorial day of 58 so i know i started i think it was april you know the i don't have a set date but i think it was april of 58 when i caught my first wave so plus i'll turn 77 so it's it's all kind of sevens are my number so i got all kind i want to I want to go surf. <laughs> I know. Well, I'm not going to cut this short, okay? Because we got too much to go over. Yeah, but yeah, uh, yeah. hopefully, we'll ride a wave together no, soon. No, it'll, okay? it'll happen. Today yeah. is not the day. Yeah, absolutely. Um, there's so much to for, for me to share with everyone listening in about uh, you and about my relationship with you. And um, I have to admit that day that I arrived here and when I was. Um, 17, 18 years old in the summer of 1961 and came to California as a, as a graduation present from my parents when they asked me, what do you want for your high school graduation? And I said, a round trip ticket to California. I've never been there. I'd love to meet all these uh, people that I've, I've met, some of them in Hawaii, but I'd love to meet them and others, friends of theirs. And I had the opportunity to come here and spend a little time in San Diego. 
at the invitation of Mike Henson, uh, staying with him in his trailer, you know, and having the opportunity to meet with you. And uh, ever since that, it's been a very special relationship I've had with you. And I've always admired you, Skip, because you really are an independent thinker. You uh, are uh, not only one of the most graceful surfers that I've ever seen ride waves, but you also have that grace carry over into your lifestyle. And um, you, take, you don't take anything for granted. You're a very sensitive person. And it's so admirable. I've always looked at those qualities that you have. And I hope that we'll be able to talk a little bit and everybody listening in will come to understand uh, how significant you are as you have been to me. So it's such a pleasure to be with you. Well, I thank you for that, Paul. And uh, it, it goes both ways. Uh, you are always one of my favorite Hawaiian surfers, especially from the 60 period, maybe my favorite. You know, we're all reflections of each other. You know, through the years, uh, we should all learn stuff from uh, everybody we're around. I've had a lot of good mentors that I really looked up to. Like we talked about Phil Edwards uh, earlier when we were talking, and yes, and, uh, and then hanging around Henson too. You know, Henson was uh, he was a go for it type guy. I, I was kind of a wallflower and a shy guy, so I wouldn't have been exposed to. Uh, places and people and, and stuff if I was on my own. And he was such a uh, forward person. Uh, he always wanted to go meet the man, outdo the man. And, you know, he, he wanted to learn and do, you know. So right. uh, hanging around with him a lot when we were young, I, I got exposed to uh, a lot of the people and places and surfing that uh, helped set seeds in, in the beginning of uh, my lifestyle there. So... Uh, I'd like to talk, you know, ask you a couple questions though, because we're going to come back to Mike. But I think one of your early influences, uh, and that surfer was mine as well. Would you mind talking a little bit about what you uh, uh, saw in Phil Edwards uh, as an individual and then as a surfer? Uh, I think just the way he went through the water, you know, I mean, the way he surfed was just beautiful. It really was uh, something to behold. One thing I never forget is watching uh, the film, you know, that we're taking of him. Bud Brown particularly took a lot of shots of Phil uh, surfing at Makaha. Mm -hmm. But what, the thing that really stood out, you know, to me was his, um, his bottom turn right going left you know, at, at Trestles and a couple of other places that I saw on film. Uh, and I, gosh, I, I used to, you know, when I finally got it on YouTube, you know, I could I could take that segment that was um, Phil surfing, and I can't remember where it was, but it was a California break where he, he'd, he'd uh, take off and then all of a sudden he'd be going right, but he'd make a bottom turn and then how he'd shove the board out and then bend his knees, and then you know, redistribute his uh, weight to the back foot, and and then you know come around and use the the board um, coming around on the weight of the board to to balance out his turn, and then immediately step up real quick, but to from the from the stern of the board halfway up his board, and then walk casually to the nose, and then you know. Send the board out, walking back, 
um, to the tail of the board and then immediately carved this huge turn back <laughs> into the whitewater. Yeah. It was just mesmerizing. He know? did have some big moves, but um, and he probably was one of the best backside surfers that I've ever seen. Yeah. He almost was better backside than he was frontside, you yeah, know. I agree. So uh, I don't know. He's just something that Henson and I both really uh, were, were taken by uh, the way he surfed, it, the way he built boards too. Uh, he kind of referred to his boards as he wanted to make a board like a javelin. You know, mm. they were all sleek and, and uh, streamlined and, and uh, usually had a little length on them. And one of the few guys at that time that did the whole board, at one point he, he shaped, sanded, glassed. I mean, he did board from start to finish which to me is pretty amazing. Uh, not too many people do that these days. And no. It's just too too much work, you know. I just wound up shaping. I've done a little bit of everything, but shaping is where I've really found my, my place. But, um, yeah, Edwards, he had kind of a, I think a lot of the guys, especially like you, had a bob and weave style of surfing, you know. Mm -hmm. If I picture it to sports, maybe like Muhammad Ali, <laughs> <laughs> you know, <laughs> but uh, there was a lot of people. I always liked the smooth guys. I mean, actually, my first real hero was Dewey Weber when I was a kid, and he was mine too. And, and it was, it, it was, I was very, you know, impressionable. About you know, it was just the quick, the the spectacular. You know, he had red trunks. He was kind of actually rode for Dewey uh, Henson actually shaped for him in like sixty sixty one. Uh, first time I went to the islands, I took a, a Dewey Weber board with me. Mm. Actually, that, that's what happened. I got stuck in the South Bay waiting for the board to get done, and I spent all my money partying. And <laughs> <laughs> So when I got on the plane, Dewey took all the money I had to pay for the board. And <laughs> so the three of us, I think there was three, three or four of us on the same flight. It was Ricky Hatch, Harold Eagy, uh, a friend of mine, Tony Schwartz, and myself. Henson thought we were bringing the care package, and we didn't, we had change between all. Four. Well, you know, Iggy he had you know he was going home, so that was no problem with him. Right. But the the other three of us, we had less than a dollar change uh, between. We were going to Hawaii, so so what, you know? Yeah. But it was homeless in Hawaii. <laughs> what year was that? Scott? That was sixty one. Nineteen sixty one. That was the year. That was September yeah. of of yeah. sixty one. You know. Uh, until Thanksgiving, uh, all kinds of adventures there. Uh, you were talking about the Blah James yes. incident. Uh, Blah James was, a, I guess he was Samoan. I don't know what he was. You know, we were hungry. You know, it was a couple days in and we didn't have any. <laughs> and we were sit, all sitting there outside. There was a little surfboard shop just uh, inland from Alamoana, a couple blocks, and Donald shaped there, and they built boards there. And we were sitting around the outside of the place, and, and Blah was eating a, a big bucket of fried rice. You know, what well, was halfway done. Hey, Holly, you want some? So my first introduction to Blah is he handed me some fried, you know, he handed me some food, you uh -huh. know, and that was my first introduction. Another thing about Blah, he had a ponytail, and in those days, nobody had long hair. I mean, it was right. all pretty short hair, and to see a guy with a ponytail was like, whoa. Yeah, okay. <laughs> you know, it just wasn't... You know, now you see it all over, but then. Another thing I remember about Blah on his, I think it was his right hand, he had a knuckle that stood up about an inch high. You know, he was supposed to be a karate guy or martial yeah. arts, so you just looked at that and went, uh-oh, he must have been busting bricks or something. I don't know. 
But um, so anyhow, the infamous story, we were, there was a party one night and we were in the surf shop and we were actually staying. There were some apartments just right across, really narrow little alley and there were some abandoned apartments and we were kind of, that's where we were staying, being homeless in Hawaii, you know. Anyhow, everybody was drinking and all that and and for some reason, Blah got an attitude and, and something and he got in a mood and he wanted to start fighting. I remember Tony Schwartz, my friend, he, he he was a pretty big guy, so he handed Schwartz a chair, a folding chair, says, okay, here's your weapon, come on, let's go, you know. And, no, no, you know, nobody yeah. wanted to mess with him. Right. And Gene Harris, he was really a, a guy from the South Bay and, and uh, he was, come on, Blah, you know, cool it, you know. Talk we're, them we're, down. Yeah, we're yeah. all friendly here, you know. And, and then I remember Blah cocked a, a hand spear, you know, with yeah. the rubber and everything. He cocked it and pointed it down at him. I don't know if he purposely let it go or it slipped out of his hands because we were all pretty out of it. But anyhow, it 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 got fired and went through the toes of uh, of Gene Harris. And, and pinned, oh, <laughs> oh! Pinned him, pinned, pinned Gene to this. Yeah, his foot to, to the, the floor. floor. So yeah. that was like. It was it was bedlam. We couldn't wait to get out of there. No, it was like a a command evacuate now. Yeah, well, we evacuated and finally went over to our thing and we put a rope out the other side of the building. It was a second story and it was the blah escape. So it was a rope out the window. (laughs) (laughs) The blah escape, you know. How to get out of the building without using the front? Yeah, so. Anyhow, you know, Blah came here and he lived here for a while in San yes, Diego. And, and uh, well, he was a martial artist, you know. Black oh yeah, martial artist. And so there's some other stories when he came here. Uh, I worked at Defalco's, which was a supermarket. I was a bag boy, and and uh, and Blah would show up every Friday, paycheck time, and hey, Skippy, how's it? So I, you know, shove out a little funds for. I guess it was payback for the fried rice. I don't know, but he. he you know, he knew where I was. and But here's the thing, too. Um, Butch, Butch Van Archdale, who I'm talking about, who's really a good friend, and he, he, uh, he'd fight a lot, you know. So there used to be this this uh, this gang or a club in Point Loma called the Quigs. And somehow there was a party or something, and there was a guy named Pringle, and him and Butch got in a fight. Now, I don't know how the fight went. Butch might have got hammered, but... Anyhow, they knew I was really a close friend with Butch, so they called up my mom and and uh, said we're going to get Skip, you know, blah, you know, cussing up my mom and you know, really? we're going after. Well, Blah found out, and uh, Blah had a semi-automatic weapon, and I remember there used to be a, a bar next to PB Pier it was called Maynard's, and uh, somehow they were drinking there and Ball. And Blah went down under the pier and and showed the guys, you know, this thing works. <laughs> but anyhow, Blah, when this happened, he, Blah found out. And so he pieced together the thing and went and sat out in front of Pringle's house. And Pringle never came home. So I don't know what the end of the story was, but... Fortunately for him, I guess. Yeah, so, but you know, so Blah was... Uh, I'd say he was, a, for the most part, a friend to me personally. Yeah. I mean, giving me that rice in the beginning. And I mean, the story could be like Bob is a bad guy and don't ever mess with him. But, yeah. you know, there was a good side to the guy, at least as far as I'm concerned, because he stood up for me in that instance. And first time I ever met him, gave me some fried rice, which was really good. Yeah. 
in fact, another thing, a little sidebar to eating and, and uh, you know, because we were eating coconuts for a while, you know, whatever we could do. And that's where I, my introduction to the plate lunch, whenever we made money, oh, the Hawaii plate lunch, we go to the little, that was like the I best know. meal ever. Well, the best meal ever when we were there was Buddy Boy's birthday. Uh-huh. You know, and the birthday there is like this, the Luau Supreme, you know. So, I yeah. mean, it was more food than I've ever seen in my life. I ate so much food at the beginning that the aunties and everything brought out all the desserts and cakes, and there was no room, man. I couldn't, I couldn't <laughs> eat no more, eat a cake or a pie or whatever it was. But uh, always, that was like one of the best meals like ever. I mean, as good as any Thanksgiving dinner I've ever been to or anything was Buddy Boy's birthday man it was like the feast supreme it's interesting that you know the the first thing we're talking about right now is your appreciation of the hawaiian food you know oh yeah as big opposed time. to the hawaiian no, still you still know? to this day you know i try to you know my diet's a little more lean these days because yeah. when you get older you're trying to right but the plate lunch and, you know yeah. you know like the teriyaki beef Two scoops of rice and uh, macaroni salad. That's still a favorite, man. I won't pass it up if I get a chance. But but you know, I I, I got I've got to ask you, you know, the question about as a surfer coming to Hawaii and your first experience about the waves. I know you've seen you saw the pictures, the Bud Brown films, and the other photographers who who took pictures and Surfer Magazine. I mean, what did it mean to you when you got finally got to Hawaii? Whether it was a South Shore experience or the North Shore experience. Yeah, well, it was South Shore experience because we went, you know, in that time of the year. That's all I was thinking about. I wasn't thinking of Waimea or Sunset or anything. I was just thinking Ala Moana, you know, and that's where sure. the main spot we surfed, you know. Yeah, it was. In fact, my first good-sized day there, I went, I took off and it was so hollow. I went down and went, whoa. I came around the corner on my knees and then up and over the falls. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I wasn't ready for the speed and, you know, the and uh, the whole thing of it but uh, in fact another thing that that happened there when I was there that was quite an experience I got a staph infection in my knee I got a little cut uh-huh. and then it it got infected and I didn't you know I you know I just kind of and then Let my my yeah. knee blew up and then oh my God. I was going oh better go to the hospital so I called my folks and and uh, you know I was in the hospital in fact, they put me in isolation. I remember Butch came in and he had the he had the full doctor. It was Doctor Butch, you know. <laughs> oh God! But uh, it was uh, so, you know. And then they sent me more money so I could live out my time. So as soon as I got out of the hospital, Makaha was up, you know. Yes. So we went there, and they had all my money and everything. It was in the car, and uh, went out surfing. Came back. No moss. <laughs> the money was gone. So another funny story about that. I'm listening to the the Makaha Sons of Nihau. Yes. And they, they have a song in there about, no matter if you lock your door, the boys will still score. <laughs> I laughed so hard when I heard that. It was like the exact thing that happened to me when, you know, and that was way back in 61. But when I heard that song, uh, I just, I was laughing so hard, man. I mean, I should have been crying, but I don't know. It just, uh, I, you know. Oh gosh! Yeah, it was it was really funny. Tell me about the wave at Makaha. I I never you know Makaha was I don't know I probably never got on a really good day. It was fun you know the Uh shore break which you know launches you a little bit. But I don't have any real uh, 
vivid memories of Makaha. You know, mostly it was Ala Moana. That, I don't even remember that day when I surfed. I don't remember that day, so it must, I don't know. It was maybe too big, or I don't really have memories of it. Uh, the memory of that first trip was mainly Ala Moana. Uh-huh. And a little bit of Queens. I remember Nueva, he was 12 years old. I remember that. Just yeah. a little, this little Hawaiian kid just like ripping. And I remember BK, because he was like the king of Queens at, at that time. That's you right. Know? Yeah. And... Uh, but what, what were you riding? Do you remember what? Yeah, it was a, like a nine eight, just a square tail, Dewey Weber square tail. I you see. know, in fact, I sold it to Buddy Boy. Buddy, Buddy Boy bought that board right right before I left. You yeah, know, no kidding. Or I sold it because I was broke. You know, I don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> but that wave at Alamana was a special wave. Yeah, it was really know? it's really good. Well, I remember uh, just seeing pictures of it. You know, there's a picture of. Of Alan Gomes, like yes, that was a famous one. Yeah, oh and, and that was like the ultimate wave, you know. I yeah. mean, so uh, yes, it was always, you know, that was yep. indelible indent in the mine, and so. but it had its own culture there, you know. All the different spots in Hawaii have has it; they all have their own little spot culture, and the people that congregate there and surf there, you know, become second nature to them. But Alamoana had a bigger than life. Uh, identity yeah yeah you know and, and so when you get out in the lineup i mean you, all surfers would acknowledge this when you paddle out to an area that you don't normally go to yeah you know you have to break the ice and you're in a new environment and so obviously you're going to be stared down a lot you know because you're not familiar, familiar well that's face. you always got to respect wherever you go especially with the whole history of hawaii how the i can see why they're working for sovereignty and everything but you know, the Hawaii people had their thing, and then the world comes in, and they start building all the hotels and, and encroaching on their thing, and people come in and try to take over. And no, mm -hmm. that doesn't cut it, man. You had this beautiful lifestyle, and and uh, so I can see I can see why there's some animosity that, through the years that, that has been, been there, you know, because it's a place to go, and, and people don't respect... You always got to, wherever you go, you got to respect the people and their place. That's and, so true. And you're visiting, and so, you know, you don't come in and take over. You know, you come in and graciously, you know, sit there and wait for your turn, you know? Yes. And if you, I found if you act that way, then they they will give you your turn, you know? Absolutely. Go, bro. Yeah. You know, but if you come in and just rip around and take every wave like half the kids do anywhere, <laughs> yeah, that, you know, it's not, it doesn't sit good, you know. That's a big lesson for everybody to learn, you yeah. know. There's a pecking order wherever you go. Yeah. And, and and rightfully so. But, you know, if you do wait for your turn, yeah, eventually you're going to be invited. Yeah, in, yeah, you know? yeah. Yeah. And I hope everybody listening uh, will understand what we're talking about. Yeah, I, I never really had a problem there, you know, not... The, every time I've been to Hawaii because I kind of approached it well I was kind of a shy chicken guy anyhow so I mean I wasn't like a bold go there and take over the no, spot you're, type you're, of guy you're such you know? a quiet good natured person I remember the first time I went to Makaha maybe a couple of years later and Hemings paddled up to me I didn't even know I knew who Hemings was but I didn't know he knew who, who I was yes and he, he gave me the full aloha, man. He came up and, hey, Skippy, how you doing, man? Welcome to Hawaii. You know, gave me the full acceptance. And I'll never forget that, man. It was, like, really impressive from somebody of his stature and everything. So 
Gosh, that's fun. That's nice to hear. Yeah. That's really nice. Yeah, I told him that. I, 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 when I saw him, you know, one of the last times I saw him, he was actually here a few years back and he had a hip replacement, you know? Yes. And then I went to see him in the hospital a couple of times while he, while he was here. So, but I told him that story, how, how impressed I was, just how friendly and open he was, you know, because, you know, like I said, a lot of people come and I'd get an attitude after a while. I don't care who it was. You know, oh, there's another guy, you know, <laughs> buzz off, you know. I, know. I know. Well, y'all, you ultimately have to wait your turn. You know? Yeah, and, yeah. And that turn will come. Yeah. Know? No, you got to share. That's part of the Ojaloha thing, you know, sharing. Sure. And, uh, but I got to talk to you, too, about something that, you know, I've been hoping that I would have a chance to in depth. Um, your your boards that you have created that you you created a legacy for yourself in terms of people respecting your workmanship your craftsmanship and you become known as a person that was so interested in the glide being able to stand in one spot on your board becoming a minimalist in terms of um, you know using the surfboard to your advantage but particularly to just in let the wave push you along and let the board uh, find its own sweet spot. And you've gone into depth with this, too. Yeah, yeah. I've always been, uh, trim has been kind of the essence of yeah. what I really like. I mean, I, I, you know, I like turns and the nose ride once in a while, but really the trim and how a board goes through the water and, and how uh, aqua dynamic it is. Mm -hmm. I think it's just my love of surfing is, has driven me to a point in my shaping you know uh had a lot of good people to look up to you know henson in the beginning and, sure. and uh edwards and and donald and there's a lot of people even midget farley you know the way he put rails on a board i remember when he was working at gordon smith he he had a board and just had the rail bands on but that that was it he left it at that Maybe that's as far as he got that day, but really? I just looked at it and went, wow. Yeah. You know, I was just like, man, that just stuck in my mind. So, like I said, uh, we're just reflections of a lot of the people around us, you of know. Course. So, the trim people, you know, Dora Dora was like a master of the forward trim, you know. Mm -hmm. Not so much nose riding, but he'd get up in uh, that first third of the board and, and uh, he would maneuver from up there. Yes. Well, they call it the Mickey Mambo, you yeah. know. Right. But it's funny because he even liked, he even spent some time in Cuba with the Latin music, you know. Yeah. No, he was really, yeah. and actually that's my favorite music too is Afro-Latin, you uh -huh. know, like uh, Pancho Sanchez and Tito Puente. And and so I really relate to Mickey in, in, in that vein. But uh, a lot of the people that really trimmed up boards, you know, uh, there's a picture right there on the wall of Blackie Machiana. It was Phil yes. Edwards' favorite picture. I know. And a hot curl trimming across right slide. Yep. Oh, that picture in, in Bud Brown's movie, man. I mean, that was a curl. That was a hot curl. Yes. And you, you talk about a hot curl, and he was just like whistling through that thing. Just arched back and just whistling through it. Yeah, the perfect pose, too. Yeah. Oh, it was like ultimate. Yeah. Well, right there, it says Phil Edwards says it's his favorite frame, you know. So, uh, I don't know, always being slotted. I think that's what the big board, uh, when I got into the big board, you know, I've been, the big board's always been there. Henson made 11-foot guns in the 60s and stuff, so not over 11, but 
uh, between 10 and 11. So I always, that feel always stuck with me, you know, and then we went through the shortboard era and then as mm -hmm. longboarding came back in the eighties and then uh, Downing and Velzy made those two big blanks, you know, the 11-3 and the 12-3. That was like- Opened the door, didn't That it? was like, yes. I've never been so stoked or so enthused about boards and board shaping and, and uh, just the feel of boards is, uh, when I started on the 11 foot board, uh, the first one, the 11s and 12s, I did three years, that's all I did. I didn't even ride anything under that. I, just the feeling and the glide. I, I think you get tighter to a wave with a big board. If you have a perfect wave, you get tighter mm -hmm. with a big board than you do a short board. Because a short board, you'll outmaneuver yourself. Mm -hmm. You know, with a long board, you just get in the slot and it, it if it's in the slot, it's going to, it'll you know and it's got the glide and everything it's gonna it's gonna be right there it's gonna be right in the spot you're not gonna outmaneuver yourself but it takes a i think a greater finesse to ride a bigger board than a short board yeah a lot of people can't do it i don't know it's just something that uh i learned when i was young and then getting back into it i really uh worked with it and i don't know i just really became fascinated with it you know it, like i said it, for shaping and having a a, a period where I was most enthused about anything was the the first three years in the 90s when I, that's all I did is 11 and 12s. Mm -hmm. So Skip, could you go back yesterday? You were telling us a little bit about what inspired that period where you started getting into the longer boards. Uh, well, the blanks that Downing and, and Belzy made, you know, they, they made the blanks. So that once I, uh, there was actually a guy connected in the business with us that was a bigger guy and and he put his name on the list and got the first one. It was just a standard square tail, soft square tail. And, and he let me use it during the week. You know, he worked it. And then, uh, so that week I got like, the first day I rode it was too small, so I couldn't really get the run on it. And then I went to Sunset Cliffs the next two days and just freaked out. I was going all the way to the beach. I was going through two breaks at once. I was covering ground that I've never covered or I hadn't covered in, 30 or 40 years or whatever. Probably never covered because, you know, I'd had more experience at this point in time. So uh, then he came and to get the board and I sat around all bummed out all weekend. Because <laughs> that's where I just wanted that feel, you know, that the boards that I had, 10 or 15 boards, 10 foot and under, didn't didn't do it, you know. Mm -hmm. So uh, then my, that was like the, this was the 15th and 16th of March, and then uh, the 20th of March was the first day of spring, or the equinox. I'd ordered a blank right straight away. As soon, soon as I rode his board, I ordered, ordered this three-stringer blank, or this T-band, and uh, made myself an eagle. So my dog's birthday, and I used to ride with him all the time. His name is Leroy, and but I rode him on a 10-foot board, and I thought, oh man, I, Put him his birthday. Let's Donna. Let's go film him in, at PB Cove on his birthday. The equinox is one twenty in the afternoon, and uh, it'll be such a cruise, you know, on this eleven foot board compared to the ten foot board, you know. So we took him out there and we're cruising around. I looked and it was it was like one twenty. That was the equinox. So a guy pulled alongside him. He gave me a high five and he, he peeled off right, and I got this left with Leroy all the way up into the channel and that was the last wave he ever got. Really? And uh, the guy actually gave me the board back because he passed, the dog passed away that summer and so he gave me the board back. It's even got his picture on the bottom. It's got a silhouette picture that, that uh, Donna took 
of uh, in fact, both boards have the, the the equinox that I shaped that afternoon. I came back and shaped that board. So anyhow, I'm reading the story right in the middle of that period. It was about ninety two or something, and I'm reading Blake's book about surfing in Hawaii, nineteen thirty five. Now Blake was uh, making these hollow boards, and uh, Duke got pretty inspired through Blake, and, and Duke had some wood, wood, uh, woodworking things that, that he learned through the missionary schools or something, so he uh, sent away for this 16-foot piece of redwood, and I think he had to, it was pretty green when he got it, so he let it cure and uh-huh. put it up in the rafters, and and then he uh, he dug it out. He, he actually dug the deck out and uh, got it down to 125 pounds. <laughs> Blake said he didn't have the weight to turn the thing <laughs> but anyhow uh so the story the story that really got me it was finally first break surf and so they they went paddled way out to outside Waikiki and uh, and uh as the story went in the book Blake says well, what do they call this part of the break you know and Duke says well this part I don't know you know, I maybe gave him the Hawaii name, but yeah. he says, let's let's name it in honor of the big boards, you know. So Papa is bored in Hawaii and Nui is big. So uh-huh. so Papa Nui, that they named that part of the break Papa Nui that day. But but the deal was Duke was kind of a mild mannered guy. He wasn't one of the carrying on too much, as far as what I know. And um but Blake said his first ride went to his head like wine and he was screaming all the way to the beach just yeah you know just like so jacked up on this well he was going back into the king state too you know like the big I mean I think that's probably why he did it because there was this one board what was it uh Prince Packy or whoever it was there was this big long board that mm-hmm. I think he rode once or twice but uh-huh. But uh, or it was in the museum. But anyhow, reading that story and seeing how enthused Duke got was the same kind of feeling I got from going to, you know, nine or ten foot boards to eleven and twelve foot boards. You know, right. so I related to it totally. It was just like man, the glide and the carry and the majesty of these big boards and going across the expanse and and uh, I don't know. I, I really was taken by. It's probably a perfect time to read that story because. Uh, yeah of where I was in in my endeavors uh, at that time in the early 90s. You spent a lot of time, think you have spent a great deal of time uh, envisioning when you're looking at a board that you're about to cut out and, you know, put a template on. You don't really imagine, you know, what how this is going to help you. You think about what you want the board to do first. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah, and then you, you come back and lay that out so that it's a... It's a thought process uh, de- where design is a major influence. Well, it depends on the waves too. Waves sure. dictate a lot of what uh, of spots you surf, or you know, that's why there's so many different boards because every spot's a little different. Even conditions day to day are different, season to season. I have certain boards I use different seasons. How many boards do you have in your own personal equipment? I don't know. Well, how about I, I have no. Well, I don't pick know. a number then, like. Like eight? <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to laugh. <laughs> I know I'm just underestimating. Eight, eight times eight. <laughs> so, or, or, seven or, or 80 boards? 
I don't know. It's probably more than that. I don't know. Oh I, we goodness. should just say for our listeners, we just got a tour through three different buildings full of boards. So it's definitely closer to the yes, yeah. eight times, To the three-digit number. Times yeah, it's, a, it's three <laughs> digits somewhere. Yeah. So, so Paul and I, were, we, were, we had a little moment uh, when you were dealing with something, and we said, I remember to ask Skip, how do you decide when you have, let's say, it's 75 boards to ride, right? How did No, how sometimes, you- usually, like I said, seasonal, certain boards in certain seasons. Uh, it actually does get difficult sometimes. But I've always got new stuff in the, in the works, you know, especially the last few years, like every month or two. I've always got something, something that's ready. You know, I've got two boards over there that are ready right now or will be ready. So then I've got other boards I haven't... I could stop right now shaping with all the stuff I've got and, and all the interest I have in fin design and what fins go with what. I could spend the rest of my life if the surf was perfect every day and I wouldn't learn it all. You know, I, I couldn't cover all. Luckily, I've got three or four people that are close to me that help me out quite a bit, uh, especially with the fin thing, which I think fins are 50% of the board at least, at least as far as how a board goes through the water, how it functions, how it turns, you know, the drag. Uh, I've been minimalizing fin size for forever. I mean, I'm getting smaller. Probably I'll be back to the old days where just there's no fins, you know. But if, you, if you're minimizing fin size to accentuate um, maneuverability, it's not really that. It's sensitivity, isn't it? Because well, the board is going to be very sensitive to your displacement, weight displacement, on uh, with a fin that's that's less in, in depth. Yeah, what's more, see, there again, it's a lot of it's trim, you know. Yeah. So uh, I'm not cranking any Phil Edwards turns, that's for sure, <laughs> or do you ever turns? Or well, I, I like turns. I mean, I do my turn, but uh, it's everything again is is. Uh, for flow and speed and, and planing and glide and maybe that's where I am you know I'm, I'm kind of getting more that way in my old age because it just kind of it's just an evolutionary process and it just kind of goes where it goes and luckily I said I have two or three people that are really close to me that have the same boards that I have and uh, so we bounce off each other all the time mm-hmm. and we trade boards all the time you know like right in the middle of a surf well let me feel that what do you got you know Ooh, that's good. I'm gonna go in. You know, yeah. next surf, I'm doing that. You know, right. so we're we're, and then different seasons are different. What we were doing a couple of years ago, it doesn't, for whatever reason, doesn't feel right now. Yeah, it feels yeah. a little different. So, yeah. so you you gotta. I don't know. I I know one thing with, and I think it's global warming. You know, they say that that's a hoax yeah. and all that, but it's a lot windier than it used to be. You know, a lot more. In fact, right now, as we're speaking, we've been in the wind throes of of wind for a week or two weeks, or right. I don't know. It seems like a couple of years, but it hasn't been that long. But but if you were to define like uh, the ultimate quiver, you know, for people listening in, like you, we all evolve through our own personal experience in terms of what works, mm-hmm. you know, and. Is it length? Is it width? Is it tail? Is it hydrodynamic? You know, yeah, it's all shape that. And all. But when you, when you boil it down, and if you had to, you had the luxury of, of money is no object, and you could buy what you want to cover the majority of conditions that you're going to be surfing in, no matter where you live. You know, the waves are going to be 
small, uh, medium size, and big. I don't even know what a magic quiver is. What's the number on it, you know? Uh, five boards? 25? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, for me, I'd always have, you know, I'm, a lot of people ask me, what, what about one board? If you were stuck with one board, what would you have? Well, it'd be between ten. It'd be between ten and twelve feet somewhere. Probably be an eleven foot board. Uh huh. You know. And what would it? What what design elements would you would you? Feel well, I don't know. To incorporate. To, well, that's a hard one that too. Work. You know, uh, I make this board called the Eagle, which is a whitish pintail, and I probably make more of those than especially in the longer lengths. Okay, let's start with the tail then. Why pintail as opposed to square tail? Oh, a lot of it has to do with your turning curve. You know, you got curve in the tail, and uh, of course you can get that with a square tail or a pintail, but uh, it's just a matter of feel, really. Uh -huh. I mean, it's when you try to boil it down to what, what it does or what it doesn't, it's really a matter of feel. I think that's why you have so many different shapes, and, and people just get... It's because it's really... Uh, uh, so, to, in other words, what, what you're saying is that in order to deduce the ideal shape down to the pintail, you have to experience everything else, including the pintail, <laughs> to make a rational yeah. decision, right? Well, see, like the Fishsimmons, too, which is a wide, I, I do a lot of wide block boards, you know, Fishsimmons, the, the tips are 10 inches, you know, 10 inch block, you know. And that kind of goes back into time because, uh, you know the the old boards. You know the planks and all that. They were, they were. They had wide box on them. Mm -hmm. And I think what what did what did uh, uh, Ekstrom Carl Ekstrom told me that Simmons said nothing under a ten inch block. And by block you're defining the tail block, exactly. just the tail the block, width the, the width block. of the tail block. Okay, right on the end of. The so when I made the fish Simmons, I went right to Simmons minimum. I went to ten, <laughs> ten inch tail block. That's you a know. wide tail block, really. Yeah, no, well, it, I've made them even wider. Uh, you know, I got a new thing called the nozzle, which I blew up a fish, uh, Derek Hine fish, and, and it's got an eleven inch block. Wow. And it's all concave, no, no V, nothing. It's wide and it's all concave. You know, I've just, well, a, a fish has a concave tail and all of my boards have a concave center. Now, I use the concave center. It's kind of a yin-yang thing because I use a fairing in the rail. Yes. And especially in the front portion, I use belly because I just think that feeds through the water better because you're, you're spreading out all the weird undulations and the chop and whatever. No... No wave is just perfectly glass unless you're in the bay or something. Exactly. Then you haven't got a wave, you know. But um, so I always liked that. That came from what I learned from boards because back in the longboard era, rails were pretty much it. Yeah. I mean, there wasn't too much different shapes. I mean, rails were thin rails, thick rails. I know right at the end we were trying to get release, so we went down the knife rails that were so knifey they'd cut you if they ever hit you in the shin, you know. Right. But what happened is they penetrated too much into the wave, mm -hmm. so they dug too much. Mm -hmm. So there's the perfect uh, thing of too thick a rail or too thin a rail. A too thick a rail pushes out and it doesn't penetrate enough, and you don't get feel the wave, you know, or it pushes out. And More you, control. Yeah. So there's a perfect rail there somewhere, and weight has a lot to do with it. Uh, like a eggy type rail where it's kind of penetrates but it still pushes out and then it depends on your waves too 
like in Hawaii, like in the pipeline or something, you want more of, uh, you don't want the rail to dig too much. You know, that's where the low rail and, and uh, right. which Henson, uh, Lopez says Henson came up with that. And that's pretty much, much was it. He got a low rail and that made it possible for people to surf that type of wave. Yes. Other, we And originally we were surfing it with the old soft long bar. <laughs> Forget it, man. That didn't work. You could see the guys were, they couldn't even get down the face. You know, they were just getting sucked up into the, you know, no release and, and it didn't work. But uh, it's amazing the since I've been surfing and I know you too, Paul, that the, the uh, just how technology, what's happened in technology with design and fins and the whole thing and the waves that people are riding now. There's just waves that we didn't ride before because they were too radical, you know. Now they're riding anything, everywhere, anything, you know. And, and uh, that's all technology and, and board design. And, and uh, that's what's so... I think that's what's kept me so enthusiastic about still wanting to surf and stuff is being able to create different designs and always uh, tweak it and, and uh, improvise. And because I always want to get out there. Oh, I got these new. I got a couple of new boards yeah, now. I want to get out there and, sure, and glide it all out. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like I could stop right now. I mean, I could stop shaping right now and just surf the rest of my life. But it it doesn't work that way because surf's not good all the time. It's probably a good thing because we probably get jaded. Yeah, I agree. You know, I mean, you look at the people that hang at the beach all the time. I, you know, every place has its mayor, and that's the guy that's there every day. Yes. He never goes. You know, he just comes to the beach. He's the, he hangs out. He's the mayor. Right. But he, when does he get stoked? It has to be the best swell in five years. Ah, I got a stoke, you know. <laughs> yeah. Whereas you and me, we're working every day. We don't care if it's blown out. We're getting right. there, and yeah, we're we got we're jacked up just to get in the water and paddle around. And yeah, every occasion is special. Yeah, so so uh, you know the guy that hangs out all the time. I I feel sorry for him really. You know, it's nice to be there when you can, and but you know. Uh, I've learned that through my faith too. You know, I've got uh, surfing was kind of my god for a long time. You know, I mean, everything mm -hmm. suffered because when the surf was up, I was there. You know, mm -hmm. so the family suffered. My first marriage broke up because a lot of because of that because I wasn't paying the bills and just barely squeaking out enough to make along. And then uh, my faith came along, and I always had my faith, but I was up and down with it. You know. Mm -hmm. it, you know, I didn't follow it for a long time, especially when my first wife left. I went to do this period. It was really bad. But I found that uh, there's a priority in things, you know, God first, family second. And when I started working on those priorities, the time that I did go surfing, God blessed it. You know, he really blessed it. Right. Otherwise, when I'm there all the time and I'm trying to do it on my own, it wasn't being blessed as, you know, I'd had nice days and stuff, but it wasn't being blessed the way I think in my older life, when my faith is really intact, which has been about the last 25 years, you know, where I really got down and got with it and, and wanted to, well, I wanted to make the rest of my life count, you know? Yes. Because I was over 50 at the time. I was in France when I had this awakening, you know, I just was, my kids were all messed up because of the divorce and they went down the tubes with me, you know, because I went, you know, I was bars and mm -hmm. drugs and all that stuff, you know? I mean, I just lost it. I got away from my faith, and that was a mess, you know. But I just took this walk down the beach in France and uh, cried out to God, man. I just, I want the rest of it to count, you know. Mm -hmm. I want to, I want my kids to be right. I want to be a good role model as far as who I am sure. as a surfer, 
I wasn't really where I wasn't satisfied with that because I'd led a lot of people down the wrong path, you know, as far as uh, you know my extracurricular activities, and so I just came back a, a different person, and then uh, from then on, it's just been it's been great, man. It's been better and better. I mean, I, I have my moments, you know. I'm not perfect, you know. I, I ask my wife; she'll tell you. <laughs> You know, I I you know I have my moods and stuff, but it's a lot better. You know, once I, once I got the Lord in my life and everything, and got the priorities set straight, then everything else is blessed, man. So, Skip, going back a second, talking about your your desire to be a role model, something that a lot of our listeners might not know about is your environmental work. And could you talk to a little bit about what you've been doing on that front and why it's important to you, and maybe share some of that perspective with our listeners? Well. Um, my wife really had a lot to do with uh, stimulating me. I mean, when I started getting sick in the ocean, she uh, started following through and read up on it and stuff. She even did a class where uh, the sewer plant, she took a sewer a sewer plant, whatever they did, she took the whole course on it. Really? Just to learn about it. So uh, then she got some legislation passed uh, the reason they monitor beaches now in Southern California is because of some work she did with the, one of our local California congressmen and, and uh, got where we were monitoring the beaches so we know we know what's going on, you know. For me personally, um, I think it, it was uh, just an outgrowth of my love for the ocean and surfing. And I think trash is one thing that just like bugs me up one side and the other. You see trash right next to a trash can, you know. All you got to do is pick it up and put it in the trash can, you know. Mm-hmm. So uh, so I got paper picker-uppers, and usually wherever I go, I'll uh, at least pick some trash up. Sometimes I'll do extensive trash pickups and other, you know, try to leave it better than I found it, you know, because, uh, you know, the beach is so beautiful, the ocean's so beautiful, and to see it trashed up and and I mean, it's given me so much pleasure over the years, you know. I mean, it's nature at its finest, you know. It's just... Very important. Yeah, it's, it's very, very important. important. You, to, you know, it's just like anything, you know. You take care of it and it'll take care of you, you know. It's it's right. Same with surfboards. I'm a wax freak, you know. Like any dirty little... I don't... I do like three applications of wax and I'll take wax off a board, you know. Worst thing in... I always want to clean guys' boards off. Here we've got like two years of wax and it's all dirty. And it's weight to, to start with because, you know, it's a pound or two of weight of wax. And then you get all these bumps. So you get a certain amount of water flow that comes up over the rail and rub, goes along the deck. And when it when it goes across that bump, it's just going, you know, yeah, it's just, it's such, I learned uh, back they had these two nose riding contests in the 60s that uh, Maury put on, and uh, Henson had made these boards, a couple of boards for the for uh, the event. And and uh, Maury had this stuff called slip check. And it was an abrasive spray you put on, and usually it was on the nose. So we were playing around with it, and, and this one board, you know, we, we put, put some on the nose and did it, and he said, What's, how about some on the tail so we don't need wax? So he puts them on the tail. That board slowed down so much. <laughs> You're just talking about putting it on the deck of the, the board. The right? deck. Because the water would flows over the, the Over tail. the tail. <laughs> it was like slowed it down so much, we got a sander and, and 
So that showed me right there. If that that's slip check, that's not even like wax. That's worse, you know. These guys with their stomp pads and everything. Oh my goodness. I mean, come on, dude. I mean, look at your board. Watch the water flow over it. You know. So, so anyhow, uh, I've always been. One of my models is keep it clean, and that's everything. Keep your, your beach clean, keep your board clean. If you keep your, the cleaner you keep your board, the better it's gonna operate and work, you know, because it's drag. And whenever you take wax off a board and clean it up real good, oh. that first surf is just like, whoa, man, where you been, you know? Plus, the, just the physical appearance makes it. The physical makes appearance, feel everything. Better. It makes exactly. Me feel you know, I, Amen. Yeah. Amen, Brother Stroud. <laughs> <laughs> Paul came to visit us up in NorCal. I had to strip all my boards because he takes such good care of his boards. I thought no. I'd throw out half my fins. I'm ashamed of my equipment around Paul. Well, it makes a difference. Really. No, it makes so much difference. It's yeah. just it's unbelievable how much difference it makes. You know, I've done it so many times that it just became part of of uh, your personal culture. Yeah. 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 Hey, Skip, can I read a quote to you? It's 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 a quote by you, um, but it is it goes like this. Ponce de Leon sailed the ocean in search of the fountain of youth when all he had to do was jump over the side of his ship. What does that mean to you? Well, um, that the ocean is a very, uh, you know, our bodies, how much of our bodies is made up of water to start with, you know? Mm -hmm. So, and uh, I think one thing that drove it home was uh, a documentary called Surfing for Life, and it was about all the old folks, you know, mm -hmm. like 70 years up, like 80, 90. Yeah. And they interviewed all these people like Woody Brown yeah. and, and the, the gal that used to surf Ofrey and... And uh, and Lauren Harrison and you know all and all these people had their you could see life in them man you could see the twinkle in their eye, I mean I I was just so jacked up looking at all these people I went man that you know that's because they've been around the ocean and they, they never got out of it and and the, the ocean is there's just a life that comes from I think you got to stay active for one thing you know whether it's the ocean I think the ocean has a special medicinal uh, value to it. Well, I know the salt water has a drawing power where it draws, like the, you take a hot, like a Epsom salt bath and all that because it draws the. Well, the ocean's the same thing. Yeah, the Maybe you have to have warm ocean, <laughs> like Hawaii or something, works a little better. But um, I don't know. It's just uh, it, it's just something I thought about, man. He, all he had to do is. Go surf there, yeah. jump over the side because it was right there, you know. But it's a redeeming philosophy to have. I yeah. Mean, if all people thought that way, those that have the luxury of going in the ocean, not living inland too far, I mean. They yeah, don't listen to this if you don't surf. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I think it's pretty amazing, again, the medium being a podcast, but man, if you could sit in this room and see the two pairs of eyes of Paul Strau and Skip Fry, yeah, it is twinkles galore. You guys yeah. are amazing. No, it's been really good to both of us. You know, yeah, it's. Yeah. Uh, I think the people that that so many good people are are in the lifestyle and stuff, and so uh, it's, it's, it's a brotherhood or sisterhood too. You know, I, I one thing I do is I mentor women because women are kind of in any facet of society have been kind of left. To the second, second rung of things, and I just like their presence in the water. It's it's uh, 
they're not as competitive, you know, the testosterone and all that. That's like a thing like competition, you know. I mean, uh, as far as surfing, uh, the competitive format and all that, I don't care for it at all at this point. I mean, I've, it's it's helped me through who I am today because I've spent a couple different eras competing. But at this point, I don't like it at all because I think that's kind of the makeup of surfing. When you go out in the water, a lot of everybody's trying to – Especially the younger guys, you know, they're trying to win the heat, you know, and yeah. and that's not to me. It's uh, the best times in the because anyhow, at the end of a competitive thing, the, the only guy that's stoked is the guy that won, you know. Mm-hmm. So if we're going out as friends and we're just having a surf, you know, we're going to the beach, we're going out, we all come in with that feeling, you know. Nobody has to tell us that we won or lost. We're just going out, sharing the aloha, sharing waves. Where the competitive format, you're not sharing waves as much. You're trying to get the best wave, or, or uh, I don't know. I just be don't. The best out there. That's not necessarily the essence of life. No. So that's why I like the the women, you know, because they're not as competitive and and they're just fun to be around. And and I think uh, I've got a whole group, and they're kind of international. I've got, I've got. I've got Japanese. I've got some Filipino. I've got. Uh, some Chinese. I got a, you know, my little group. It, it, we call it Team OG. It's not really a team, you know. It's just a loose group thing. Mm-hmm. They call me OG, which is Uncle, or uh, it can be Grandpa too. If you add another I to it, it OG. <laughs> yeah. So they they call me OG. They all call me OG. But I there's a, just a number of girls. You can see them on the wall here. This is the girls' wall right there, and and. Uh, I don't know. I've just had so much fun mentoring them and uh, helping them out with boards and and trying to increase their their uh, love of surfing in the ocean. And uh, I pretty much help them out all the way. You know, uh, just a group of them. And I just like I don't know women in the sport. I just think it balances it out and um, kind of removes that what I just talked about the testosterone competitive. Uh, should be the aloha spirit you know we all should be going out there having fun and just enjoying each other and the waves and sharing waves and and i think that's one thing that's lost in the modern era one thing it's it is the just uh, the population ex- itself you know i mean especially here in california I mean, we live in the best place on the planet pretty much or one of them and uh you know everybody's finding out about it and, and the crowds and the people you know it's just getting I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen eventually. Uh, come on, Slater, with the wave pools. <laughs> that's that's my dream. They make they make the wave pools, and then all those competitive people can go and they do the wave pool, and then we can have our ocean back. And, the ocean back. You know. But you know, you mentioned you just mentioned uh, the Aloha spirit, you know, and that's something that's very dear to my heart. Yeah. You know, I mean. Besides. Well, you you understand it so much more being uh, where you come from and your culture and right. and, and uh, the giving, you know, the real essence of Hawaii and, and people that really have that spirit and uh, the original essence of real Hawaii was, was always giving, you know. It was always like, hey, you need some, you know. I mean, yeah. it just was like, and that's a spiritual principle too. Uh, and I've, I've learned that through through my spiritual side is is the giving 
If you have a spirit of giving, it, it comes back. Yeah, but you can't grow without giving. No, you no, know? no, that's it. If you shut it off, if you're greedy yeah. and hold on to it, you, you shut the flow off. Right. Because, you know, the word, you know, in Hawaiian, broken up is a combination of two words. It's alo and ha. And ha, you know, stands for... Ha, ha, ha. Well, <laughs> it does, but it stands for the breath, the breath of life. Okay. And, and it goes back to uh, when the old greeting, you didn't say aloha. It, it was taught to me that that spirit is shared. And the way you share that spirit is when you, when you see someone, a friend, you usually go up to them in the old days. And you would grab them by the shoulder. You know, each person would grab the other by the shoulder. And you would come to rest your forehead on their forehead, and your There's eyes a Hawaiian wide. guy in the canyon that does that. He he he, he showed me that. Any time he comes up to me, he comes up and we put our foreheads right together. And yeah, and then in the process, you know, you you actually expel the breath of your life and exchange it with the other person. Oh wow! So there, you're expelling your breath, mm -hmm. and you're actually breathing in theirs. And so now you're you're communicating oh, wow. on the highest level, yeah. you know, that you could. And that was a essence of what Hawaii Anna stood for as far as where I was raised. And that's the true meaning of aloha. And so when you use the word aloha, you know, spirit or aloha, it embodies that, you know, fig figuratively in the word, but spiritually as well. Mm -hmm. you know? And so it's a it's a very deep meaning and I, I just wish and it will come to pass, you know, when you're sitting out there in, in the ocean waiting for the set to come. And, you know, everyone has a right to experience that pleasure of what the waves yeah. do on a personal level. And there's it, nothing better than to see a guy pull out with a big smile on his face. Yeah. Men or women. You know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well... Skip, it's been an amazing honor to get to sit here with you, and thanks for joining Padaloha. And uh, Paul and I are signing off from the chapel with the <laughs> <laughs> And thank you for spending so much time with thank us. You, oh, it's my Great. pleasure, and uh, just to uh, reflect on this wonderful lifestyle and sport. And uh, and as Paul ended it there with with the aloha. You know the roots of the sport are Polynesian and Hawaiian, and um, it's one thing I put on all of my boards. I I put Hei Nalu on every yes. board I make, and it's a roots thing, you know. And yes. a lot of people, what's that mean? And then right. I you know, I have to tell them it's a roots thing, and mm -hmm. that's you know, Hei used to slide, and Nalu is the ocean swell, and that's. That's where the sport came from. So it's a kind of a learning, you know. It's it's my part and my respect for uh, where the sport came from, and I just put that little saying on every board I make. So well, it's a wonderful tribute, you know, to you, you know, for embodying that, and and for every new customer of yours, to yeah. have that go with the board, yeah. imbued in that board for their pleasure, you know, and enjoyment, and so. Thank you for your uh, sincerity for what you do. Well, it's my love of the sport, you know, this or the art. I don't know, sport. It's a sport, but it's an art form. It's a lifestyle and art form more than anything. And um, I don't know, it's been very good to me, and I have no regrets from going that way. I know my parents weren't really too enthusiastic about my uh, choice, my choice, but yeah. it just 
it just worked out for me, you know. And I think anybody should uh, follow their passion, whatever it is, and because that's that's where you're gonna succeed, you know. And that's where it boils down to in life, you know, contributing to someone else's happiness. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for contributing to my skin. Oh, yeah. <laughs> both ways on that. I mean, both ways. Thank you, Skip.